I'm going to give you guys a question. Um, it's a sort of an either-or question. Uh, I want you to imagine that I'm coming around and I have two bags. And you can have one of the two. But nobody can get both bags. So in one bag is grace. In the other bag is mercy. Which bag do you want? Talk it among yourselves. Let's decide. And when we find the answer, we're going to do some um, psychological analysis to see what that really means. But never mind. Just talk among yourselves. Which bag do you want? Husbands and wives are arguing. They're going to argue the whole way home. Somebody wants to break the rules and say, I want both. Right? Say, say what? Oh, see that? I, can I dump the mercy in the grace bag? Like, that's theologically astute. I'm not so sure how, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Show of hands. Who wants the grace bag? Whoa. Who wants the mercy bag? Yikes. It's like half and half, isn't it? So I'm not really quite sure what that means. Rachel, you could take that and just research it, and um, you know, we'll type it all out. We'll see what, uh, never mind. I want to talk today, obviously, about mercy. And I would like to present mercy to you in uh, maybe a renewed way or a fresh way that helps us understand that maybe mercy has become maybe we could call it the forgotten virtue. We all want grace. We love grace. But what about mercy? And if I had to choose, and by God's grace, I do not have to choose because both are mine, both are yours. But if I had to choose, um, does mercy come out you know, as kind of second choice or uh, the loser in this little, little game? I don't want to say a whole lot today, but I do want to just bring our focus to the word mercy. So the, the beatitude that we've come to is in Matthew 5, verse 7, where we read, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now the relationship between the first part and second part of many of these beatitudes is, is engaging, if not sometimes even a bit confusing. We're not sure whether it's a cause and effect connection between the two, or we're not sure that it might not be something else that is saying that when one of the two twins is there, the other will always also be there. We're not sure how much of it is about our, um, our thinking, our believing, our practicing, but I think somehow we're supposed to be lost in the delight of the Beatitudes. They are the description of people who are living as followers of Jesus. They are the perfect explanation of what a society will be like when we are living in the kingdom of God. They are great aspirations as to the way that we ought to live in our, in, in our world and how we're supposed to inhabit our time. So I want to make some observations this morning. Um, and the first one is going to be... Um, based on 
a premise that, that, that we'll get to that is kind of the theological basis of what I want to propose today. But the summary of what I do want to say is that the difference between grace and mercy are these sorts of things. So grace is when we are given what we don't deserve in a very basic um, kind of a definition. Mercy is when we are not given what we do deserve. So we all get all of those, don't we? We know that the things that we have by Jesus' work and by our relationship with God through Jesus, um, the things that we've been given we did not deserve. They are exponentially beyond what we could ever have hoped for in, in all of the dimensions of, of God's favor. But we also are people who understand that we have not been given what we do deserve. And if we are to delight as well as we should, I think, in mercy, I think we need to come back to that one and just sit there for a while and say, you know what? It is absolutely true that we have been given things we did not deserve. But oh my goodness, we have not been given the things we do deserve. And that kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? Um, it says, you know, it's not this type of a person, or it's not this kind of a Christian. Uh, it's the truth about all of us that we are people who live in the midst of grace and people who live in the midst of mercy. So if that's a good definition between the two, then what I'm wanting to propose to you today is that mercy is perhaps the forgotten virtue. We love to talk about grace. We write books about grace. Not so much about mercy. So what I want to propose is this. Mercy precedes grace. And for that, I will come to a little bit of Paul's teaching that's kind of mind-stretching, but also it's, it's kind of enlightening. So I want to propose that mercy precedes grace. If there's an order to things, mercy comes before grace. And then the other thing that I would observe about that is that mercy frustrates works. So if any way we have been confused as to why there is grace in our lives, and if we are ever inclined to take any kind of credit for the good in our lives, um, mercy will frustrate that by saying, are you serious? You really want to put your hand up and say, you want credit for that? No, no, no. Mercy says, get a hold on yourself. Um, mercy was what you needed before grace could ever be applied. So we'll jump into those for a little bit. And the first place that I will go to is in Romans. Now, Romans is a tricky book. Paul's a tricky writer. Um, he is. Some people love him. Most women don't. Other people who are great Reformed theologians and who want everything to make sense and fit in a binder, they love Paul's theology. People debate about who in the New Testament world um, were kind of the leaders. I mean, where does Paul fit in? Does Paul ever contradict Jesus? It, does James go back to Jesus and say, never mind what Paul said, here's what Jesus said, and there is no contradiction, but there is a variety of styles and perspectives. And some people delight in Paul. Some people delight in Jesus. We're in a phase of being delighted in Jesus and wanting to follow him aggressively as his, as his disciples. 
But we're not going to ignore Paul. He will be raising his hand at the back of the room and saying, what about that sort of thing? Here's what Romans 11 verse 32 says. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. When I read that verse this week, I just, I sat there for a long time trying to figure out what it was meaning. So here's the context. And I won't do that with the other verses that we'll read this morning. But here's, in in the middle of of Paul's um, treaties, he's trying to explain what Israel is and what the church is and who fits where and what happened with one or the other. So Paul goes through this angst where he says, "I, I wish I myself could be accursed if my nation could be one to the Messiah. Um, And here's what he says in in the broader context of this passage. He says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. I like the fact that he calls it a mystery. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take their sins away. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You're just going, "I, I get that, right? I don't get that at all. But here's what he goes on to say. He says, just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. You get it? Um, as God works things out, there is this first covenant people, Israel, uh, and then there's a surprising covenant people that never was a surprise to God. Uh, and, and there, after that, there is one blended covenant people. And, and the, the, then there's the future and all that kind of stuff. So as it played out, Paul says, um, it, it's actually been good for you Gentiles that the Jews were disobedient. Because because they were disobedient, you got to have favor. Because you used to be the disobedient one, and so they got favor. And I go, really? Like, how does that work? And how do we read the newspaper today? How do we read the Jerusalem Post and understand what this possibly means? I I don't want to go there. But what I do want to do is assert that what my premise is that mercy precedes grace and mercy is absolutely necessary to grace. So Paul is saying, look, there could be some vying between Gentiles and Jews as to who are the people who are God's chosen people, God's best people, the people that impress God, the people that... um, 
God says, yeah, you get, you know, you've checked, checked the boxes and, and, and we'll be good. And Paul says, actually, no. We all need to go back to the drawing table. We all need to zero back everything and say that apart from what God has done by his mercy and by his grace, we have nothing. Um, I play games sometimes with my grandchildren. I have to cheat to even beat them sometimes. But you know the games that you play, and you, you look at your hand, and you begin to wonder, okay, how's this going to work? And sometimes you look at your hand, and you simply say, I've got nothing. Like, I've got nothing. I don't know how she's going to lead, what's going to happen. I've looked at my hand. I've got nothing. The most honest observation we make about ourselves, our existence, is that we've got nothing. And if we can start there, we're going to really enjoy mercy and grace. But starting there has never been easy for everyone. And starting there is not easy for us even today. That's why I say that mercy frustrates works. Mercy frustrates any sense that we get to do what we want to do because it's the right thing and good thing and we'll get something out of it. Paul says, between the Jews and the Gentiles, like, there's no squabble. Because for a while they were ahead, for a while then you were ahead. And all of it was to prove that God would bind up all disbelief, all rebellion, all disobedience, so that he can show mercy to all. Now what that means in terms of the extent of the mercy of God is something for us to wonder about. What Paul is saying is that there was a great work that had to be done by the grace of God. That was the work of mercy, and God has taken all the disobedience that there is, every way in which we have been out of sorts with God, either because we've not been able to be good enough or we have decided not to be good enough. All of those disobediences that were played out through the history of God's covenant people, Paul says God has bound all of them together in disobedience. Why? Because what God wants to do is to show mercy to all. If God had hesitated to demonstrate mercy, he could never have delivered grace. Because it needed to be the hands up, I am guilty, kind of confession that would allow God to say, all right, are you asking for mercy? And we answer, yes, we're asking for mercy. It's a hard thing to ask for mercy, isn't it? It's easier to explain why we did what we did or we're not what we ought to be. Um, to actually say, you know what, God, I've got nothing, is both a place of incredible freedom but it's also a place of enormous frustration when we just try to understand ourselves and our ways and our world. But Paul says, you need to get down to the brass tacks of this, that God has bound up all the disobedience so that he could dispense mercy. If he's done that, then he has dispensed his mercy.
and that's a wonderful thing. So let me talk about how Jesus played into that in terms of his rabbinic teaching. Uh, to be the person, the teacher that Jesus was in his day, in his setting, in the context of both philosophical movements of, of, of Greece and Judeo understandings of, of law and, and the teachings there. What did Jesus talk about a lot? And a fun thing to do sometimes is just do a word study, just do a, a lexical study and do it on mercy and just follow through the Gospels every time the word mercy shows up and ask, okay, has mercy been given the, uh, the playtime I needed to give it? Or am I surprised now that it's actually showing up more than I suspected it did? So a few times that he shows up. Um, notably, Jesus would take the Pharisees to task. And that's always fun. Because they always go into the fight thinking they're going to win. And then you get the sense at the end of the day, they're going, again, beat us. So they would come and they'd say, in, in their typical style, which was very confrontational and legal, and they would say, you know, what about this? Or why did you let that happen? Or how do you account for this? And Jesus would often come back and just say, yeah, you're wrong. And, and tell them why they were wrong. So he would often use the context of keeping the law. In Matthew 12, verse 7, he said, if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not a sacrifice. You have not condemned the innocent. So he, he goes right for the jugular with criticisms the Pharisees have brought. And they have said, there, that woman, that man is a sinner. That woman, that man is condemned by the law. And so what are you doing about it? Even the simple thing is, why are your disciples plucking grain on the Sabbath? That's against the law. And often Jesus would say, I hear you, but you don't understand what the law is. The spirit of the law is not to the compromising of the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law is the life of the law that you need to live by. So if you had understood that what the law says is I would rather have mercy than sacrifice, that's from an Old Testament context um, where, you know, God was apparently um, approached to appease him. And the prophetic word was to say, no, I, I, I desire mercy. Again, in another situation with the Pharisees, um, and I don't know exactly what, how much mint and dill and cumin are necessary for the law, but they were necessary for some offerings. And Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. It sounds a lot like Micah, doesn't it? He has shown you, O oh man, what is right and what the Lord requires of you. And it sounds like the sort of thing Jesus kept on saying 
And right in the middle of all of it was mercy. Like the thing that is the most religious behavior we will engage in is mercy. Do I understand that? Singing this morning was wonderful worship. The more meaningful worship is when we leave this room and show people mercy. Right? So I have to start with ourselves and ask, do I need mercy? And the answer is I do, I do. I did and I still do need mercy. Am I inclined to extend mercy to others? Sometimes. Um, there's this thing called the fundamental at, at, attribution error, uh, which basically says if I'm walking down the, the sidewalk and um, the sidewalk's under a, a bit of disrepair and I trip on it, I'll say stupid sidewalk. Um, if it's Bill and he's walking down the sidewalk and trips, I'll say, well, he's pretty clumsy, isn't he? Right. So I will excuse in myself all kinds of things that I will not excuse in you. And that just demonstrates that I don't understand mercy. Because somehow I believe that I deserve more than you on the good side. Somehow or other, I think that, um, well, I wouldn't say it, but maybe if you had worked a bit harder, you wouldn't be in this fix. If you had been a bit better at being a mom or a dad, your kids wouldn't be so much trouble for you. I mean, it's in, it's in the back of my head, but it's saying, okay, even though I propose that I believe that mercy precedes grace, I'm just showing that I don't believe that. I don't think you should have to desire mercy because you should have been doing a better job of being you, and I should of being me. The freedom in saying, I suck, right? I've got nothing is a wonderful thing. And when we meet as pastors or counselors with folks in, in trying to guide them, the magic moment is when both parties say, okay, I give up. In a sense, I want mercy. And I want to give mercy. Jesus did a lot, of course, by telling stories. And maybe the most familiar story is the story of the Good Samaritan. What's the point of the Good Samaritan? Who is my neighbor? Well, that's an interesting question, but I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to answer the question, how can I be a good neighbor? One day, there was a man on his way from here to here, and he got robbed and beaten, and religious people came by and said, what a shame. A person who should not have been a religious person in the sense his hearers were religious was like a half-breed. And he's the one who showed how to be a neighbor. At the end of the little encounter, Jesus said, which one of these was a neighbor? And the answer was, the one who showed mercy. Which one was religious? A priest, a rabbi, what? No, or a Samaritan. Don't know where he went to church, right? But which one was a neighbor? Being a neighbor is being one 
who shows mercy because we understand how desperate we need mercy and other people should be given every ample opportunity to have us extend mercy towards them. Jesus said, go and do the same. Two people went up to pray at the temple. I mean, I mean, these are like caricatures where you think, really, Jesus, did, did that happen? So Jesus says these two guys went up to pray. And the one stood in the temple, and it says he said to himself, which is quite telling that that was the kind of prayer he was praying. Um, he said, I thank God that I'm not like others. Like this tax collector, he had the audacity to say that. I, I, I give to the poor, I, I, do, I do everything um, that should make me well-known and uh, on record for being the good Jew. The tax collector couldn't even look up. He beat his breast and he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And again, Jesus presses home the point, which one went home forgiven? The good Pharisee? Yeah. The publican who said, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does God want to hear from us? I think much of what God wants to hear from us is, please, please be merciful, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. We pray in the confessions. And I think it harks back to what seems to be echoed in the teaching of Jesus. Micah says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. How much room is there for um, self-confidence and, and accolades in that? I mean, there is the affect of a Jesus follower. The affect of a Jesus follower is that this person does what's right, loves mercy, and walks humbly before God. That's what pleases God. And it's not the religion of the people who claim to be God's people. It's the disposition of heart that says, I know before anything else that I need mercy. And if I need mercy, so do you. And I will give you mercy. I was interested in um, the book that we quoted from earlier on by Scott McKnight. And he said, so we come to the point of asking then, who, who, who needs mercy? To, to whom should we show mercy? And I was almost through that list and then was shocked. Those in need, yeah. Those suffering injustice, yeah. Those who are poor, yes. Those who are oppressed and those who have failed. And you go, oh, because I don't forgive those people. I don't show them mercy. In my heart, I say it was your fault. You did that. And whatever comes out of it, too bad. But when people have failed, do I show mercy? 
People have said that the hardest place to find mercy is the church. Isn't that crazy? We shoot our wounded. We mess up, and then we identify those who have messed up, and we write them off, and they don't come back. Show mercy. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of God that we're invited to ask him for mercy, and then he'll pile on grace after the mercy comes. The best story in the Bible about mercy is the story of Mephibosheth. It's a story of David saying, is there anyone left in the household of Saul and Jonathan to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? And a person says, well, there is this young lad who um, was dropped by his nurse when, when the regime tumbled, and he's lame in both legs. He lives in a place called Lodabar. And the king said, bring Mephibosheth to me. Mephibosheth had lived his life in failure and brokenness and hatred of this new regime. His father and grandfather died at the hands of this new regime. And now the new king wants to see him. What's he thinking when he's going on this treacherous journey, he presumes? What's he going to do to me? He's going to want to get rid of any remembrance of that dynasty. That's what kings should do. So I'm sure that's what's up for me. When he got there, to his surprise, David did not take his life. In fact, far more than that. Um, he said, Let, let's um, prepare a place for this boy. And when it's dinner time every day, I want him to come sit at my table. Uh, I want some better clothes for him. I, I want pretty much everything that I would have loved to give to my soulmate, Jonathan. I'd love it for Mephibosheth. Please take care of him. Mephibosheth says, why do you care about a dead dog like me? You know what the key word in this whole story is? It's the Hebrew word chesed. It's the word which David used when he said, to show the kindness, to show the mercy of God. Is there anyone left of the household of Jonathan and Saul to whom I can show the mercy of God? That was mercy. People end up in Lodabar because of what they did sometimes, because of what others did to them sometimes. But the king calls them to his table and says, have you ever heard about chesed? Have you heard about the mercy of God? It's the doorway into the provisions of heaven. Go there and you will find mercy. And if it's a real follower of Jesus that brings you there, they will be aiding and abetting in every which way you can be shown mercy. So mercy or grace? Which bag do you want? Answer? Mercy? Okay. Who wants both bags? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. God bless.